Okay, so hello again. Um, we just slowly get started. I mean, people are still coming in, but I think um, that's fine. We just start with some organizational stuff. So hi, my name is Yvette and I don't know where you see Julia, but there is <laughs> Julia. And uh, we are the editors-in-chief of Contemporary End and Contemporary America Latina. And we kind of, um, yeah, uh, thought around this um, 154 forum this year. And we already had a very interesting and important, I think, um, keynote uh, on last Thursday. So for those of you who haven't seen it, it was recorded and you can see it on the YouTube channel or via podcast of 154 by Adele Delgado was the talk. And today we're really happy to have a panel and kick the, kick the day off basically with some really amazing um, participants joining us. And um, I'm just gonna introduce now Magnus, who is the moderator of this um, panel, who will also take in all your questions. So don't be shy to send in questions or comments or let us know where you are right now from where you're watching. Um, yeah, anything that comes to your mind. So Magnus is an artist and is a, he's a writer and is currently based in Berlin. And his work mainly deals with bodies and narratives via different media like text, performance, moving image, um, disembodied voice. And uh, this is mostly uh, in the context of the diaspora. And um, he studied at the Humboldt University in Berlin. And also he started performance studies at the New York University Tisch School of Arts. So Magnus, thank you very much. Um, this talk also will be recorded so that you all are aware and tell your friends who can't join now that um, they can see it later on the different platforms of 154. So enjoy and um, see you later. Bye. Hello, thank you so much, uh, Yvette and Julia for organizing this amazing program and for in inviting us to um, address all these important topics and issues. Um, I feel very honored to be joined by all these amazing um, people here. Um, I'm going to introduce you um, to all the panelists and then we're going to dive right into it. Um, I'm going to start with uh, Alberta Whittle. She's an artist, researcher and curator. She's the recipient of a turn bursary in 2020, the Henry Moore Foundation Artist Award and the Fries Artist Award. She was the Margaret Tate Award winner for 2020 2018-19, and her creative practice is motivated by the desire to manifest self-compassion and collective care as key methods in battling anti-Blackness. She choreographs interactive installations using film, sculpture, and performance as site-specific artworks in public and private spaces. And over 2021, Alberta will be sharing new work as part of British Art Show 9, Glasgow International, Art Night London, and the University of Johannesburg. Ria Storr is an artist filmmaker who explores the representation of black and mixed race cultures. Masquerade as a site of protest or subversion is an ongoing theme in her work. She draws on her own rural upbringing and British Bahamian heritage to explore the effects of plays on cultural representation. Ria is a co-director of Not Nowhere Artists Film Cooperative. She's the winner of the Aesthetica Art Prize 2020 and the Louis Le Prince Experimental Film Prize. 
recent screenings and exhibitions include London Film Festival, European Media Art Festival, the National Museum of African American History and Culture in the United States, Somerset House and Artist Film International in association with Whitechapel Gallery. And finally, Martinique-born Caril Ivris Cauchemar graduated from the École Supérieure de Journalisme in 1993. Straight out of school, he was hired as junior editor for French magazine Globe Hebdo. And for several years, Caril worked in journalism, put together numerous projects, including fashion, art, and culture, involving fashion, art, and culture in London, Paris, Tokyo, and also established Gallery 5213 in Berlin. Um, welcome to this panel. Um, it's great to, to have you with us. Um, when I was um, reading the, the little introductory sentence, um, one thing that really stuck out to me was um, this idea that there's sort of like a, a rising interest in Caribbean art. And the, the first question that came to my mind was, where does this interest really come from? From, from what gaze? And who determines that actually? And because all of you have been sort of like involved with questions um, around heritage, particularly also in the context of the Caribbean and um, the diaspora, um, I thought it was really important before we dive deeper into your own practices or also the spaces you have built and created um, to really position yourselves uh, so we can like hear more about how you um, identify as artists um, and also practitioners of uh, Caribbean descent um, and where you locate your practices actually. So I thought it would be interesting to start out with that and hear really um, hear about your positions in the context of the Caribbean. Maybe Alberta, you want to start? <laughs> I really, really love this question, Mags. I think um, it's been a really interesting few months for me because for the first time in a while, I've been in Barbados, I've been home making work, um, which really feels as though it's always historically been presented as being at the periphery and thinking so much about these ideas, which are global in terms of thinking of histories of oppression, thinking about collateral bodies, contagion, but also how we reconcile with these difficulties from our different subjective positions. Being in Barbados has made me feel a certain sense of freedom and independence because it's connected me more deeply with um, the different discourses of, you know, operating from a small island economy um, and the difficulties of manifesting practices um, when things are really very difficult eco economically, but also there's a sense of scarcity. And being at home, I think, is specifically at this moment has provided a really interesting vantage point to consider my practice in the UK or when um, I work with my collaborative partner, Frida Nazaire in Joburg. And, you know, opening up this conversation around that idea of being situated often at the periphery, um, because even in the UK, I, I live in Scotland and, you know, black people and people of color are really largely, they're even more at the minority there there's a sense of always operating from the periphery, but really always because of my, my own understanding of race really centering on plantation economies. I've always been very curious about the neglect that Europe um, and North America has really um, paid to these histories. So returning to this place 
at the periphery has has really opened things up in a very different way possibly for now how my practice is, is developing and the directions I'm hoping to go to. Karel, you actually, after having lived for so many years, also in my hometown, Berlin, decided to move back to Martinique and create your own exhibition gallery space. What led you to, to that choice? Uh, thank you, Marcus. Oh, Magnus, to have me on Angelique. <laughs> uh, Yvette and uh, Julia as well. Um, What pushed me to open the art space in Martinique was out of frustration. As you said, you, I lived so many years abroad in, uh, in Europe and other places and settled in Berlin for 10 years where I had the art space, a gallery, commercial gallery, where I didn't represent any single black uh, artist or Afro-descendant or whatsoever because it was a gallery which was based on on the idea of locality. So basically what, what the gallery consists of was to represent and work with foreign artists based in Berlin. And uh, going back to the island of Martinique on holidays, seeing the families and things like this, I got more and more frustrated to realize that there were a thriving creative art scene with an art school. So I would say an art ecosystem that some way somehow locally worked. But you know, Martinique is part of France and I realized that you know, in terms of representation, none of his artists actually were shown on the national territory of France. So therefore, you know, since locally there wasn't either, you know, places who I would say promote their work outside of the island, I decided that probably was time in Martinique to have a place where, you know, it wasn't focused on what was happening locally, but who uh, from all those artists was worth, you know, promoting outside the island, whether it was in wider Caribbean region or internationally. So that's what pushed me to actually first open, you know, space in Martinique. So yeah, it started from the frustration and, and then it was also the fact that, you know, there's a dedication where, you know, Uh, promoting an artist from wherever it's Barbados, Trinidad, Martinique, Guadeloupe, we are, you know, like, you know, dust in the middle of the ocean. So therefore, unless, you know, we uh, are outspoken and export what we do, nobody would pay attention to that because the Caribbean, you know, in, the, in the psyche of most of the people globally, it's the postcard imagery, you know, sandy beaches, blue lagoon, you know, waters, but, you know, beyond and beyond, you know, this postcard imagery, there's a lot of things happening. You know, there's struggles, but, you know, let's focus on, you know, creativity and art. It's not that easy for an artist from anywhere in the Caribbean, you know, to thrive. So therefore, those who succeed are, I would say, you could call them supermen and superwomen. So that's what also, you know, kind of interested me and pushed me, you know, to support, you know, this idea. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Um, Ria, you, you mainly employ film uh, in order to negotiate questions of, of belonging and, and diaspora. And as someone who was actually born and raised in, in rural Britain, in northern Britain, um, what, how would you define your relationship to, to diaspora and also the Caribbean um, and, and why film in particular? Well, um, similar, similarly to what Alberto was saying about being 
on the periphery, that's definitely my position in relationship to the Caribbean and certainly um, perhaps my relationship in rural Britain in Yorkshire to um, other film practices or other forms of art that I might have access to. So a lot of my work is kind of about addressing that disconnection or perhaps the tensions that might arise um, by, for instance, celebrating carnival in the countryside and um, that on the surface that might be quite a, an absurd image or quite a um, tense image, but really it's how I've experienced um, growing up with obviously like a huge Caribbean Bahamian cultural influence, um, but then also in like a very <laughs> white rural space. So um, I think I'm positioned a little bit differently perhaps in that I'm trying to reconnect or use film as a way to understand how I might, um, yeah, engage with family, with friends, with uh, Bahamian culture. And so where film comes into that, my work is very tied to the technology that it uses. And so in terms of being on, on the uh, periphery, uh, one of the reasons why I use 16 millimeter film, for instance, is so that I can construct images in a way which kind of speaks to that non uh, centralness. Um, so I'm using images in a, in a way which disrupts or interrupts or which um, questions uh, dominant modes of image making. Um, and so I often will use kind of like glitch or static or um, aesthetics which evoke um, nostalgia or that there might be something missing or there's something which I can't uh, describe. Uh, one thing that I'm very much interested in is how the Caribbean's perceived in the UK and that perhaps there are certain ways of living, certain cultural things which are just um, incommensurable with the way in which we might understand things here. So in the course of making a lot of work about carnival, for instance, um, I found that people always have the reference of Notting Hill, uh, Notting Hill Carnival, which is itself um, people who've migrated here experience um, of carnival. So it's passing through all these different bodies and voices. And I see part of my practice is to kind of um, pass those voices or understand who's speaking, um, who has authority and and why and what authority I have, because I'm also partially um, on the outside. Mm -hmm. And maybe you could like elaborate, because what I find so interesting about your practice is also this focus on the rural, right? Because most, mostly when we think about diaspora and also the African diaspora, it, it like, at least in my imaginary, like often takes place in these metropoles, like thinking, thinking about Europe, it will be London or Paris, um, maybe also Berlin sometimes, but, um, it's very rarely in the rural. And maybe you could talk a little bit about what you find there uh, opposed to, I mean, now you're based in London now, but like, what would you find in the rural you, you don't actually in London, for example? Well, it's not like there aren't galleries um, 
in rural spaces but I think the kind of community the immediacy with which we can access work is different um in rural spaces and that's that's not even considering sort of an art market or the way that art might circulate it's also to do with um say the transport links and how easy it is um to have access to a gallery it's to do with um, the amount of teaching, for instance, or education available in like an art context. In my specific context, which is moving image or experimental film, um, there's not as much available um, to me in like a rural setting as there is in London. So um, to me, it's important to acknowledge which kind of media might be privileged um, by the environment in which I can be experienced. Um, you know, from like what I hear, it is so much about also re reclaiming narrative and reclaiming authority over one's own story or his, her, their stories. Um, and, and with that also influencing the the discourse, and I wonder because you know, Karel, you are someone who who moved back to uh, actually found an, an own space to exhibit art, and I feel like Alberta, with you, it's also so much about uh, storytelling, employing one's own body, returning to to the body. Um, yeah, how, what role does does narrative in this like larger sense play? I'm actually really interested in what Karel you said about. Martinique almost being like this dust, this sand in the middle of the ocean and like thinking so much around besides the fact that that's a really interesting image, but it also kind of like it reminds us of like pre-colonial histories. You know, it really reminds me so much about pre-colonial histories. And I find myself like also like at the moment, very fascinated with thinking about pre-coloniality and about different forms of knowledge and how in some ways that can kind of galvanize a, almost um, a way to find self-compassion. So I'm not always sitting within coloniality and the frame of coloniality and the gaze of coloniality because we were, we missed you this morning, Keril, but you know, we had this coffee, the three of us earlier and we're all together in London missing you. But you know, this idea of what it means to also be the problem, which is often encountering this colonial gaze and, you know, I think Du Bois, he frames it so perfectly because we're trying to, um, there's a sense of resistance in even speaking, I think, about Caribbean identity quite often because of almost um, a sense of distance making quite often, I think, in, um, I guess, maybe contemporary art or historical narratives about not necessarily wanting to deal with or um, consider colonial history through the Caribbean. And I think, you know, the way in which you're, you know, you've been building presence and support for Caribbean artists in Martinique is something really very special, especially in that very troublesome small island economy. You know, for me, that's, that's something really quite compelling and thinking about how the networks of diaspora are still incredibly fertile. You know, someone was talking to me, um, a friend's husband about um, the different ancestral knowledge in um, the days of the Taino people in the Caribbean and about how the sea stopped being a border. The sea was actually a space, it was a highway. And 
I'm very curious about how these senses of diaspora related to the Caribbean almost start to mirror those waterways as highways, as pastures, as routes, rather than thinking of us almost in opposition to each other with borders. Although traveling the Caribbean, as you know, is almost impossible. Yes, indeed. You know, um, which again is creating its own sense of insularity, which we understand through language and also even within the Caribbean, the expectations of what is possible in different neighboring islands. Yes. Well, thank you, Alberta, for, for this uh, note, because <laughs> it is exactly what it is, you know, you know, whether it's in Martinique, Guadeloupe, Barbados, St. Vincent, that's the way it is. But, you know, to come back to what you were saying, Magnus, the, in the Caribbean, you know, cultural practice involved the personal, the political, and of course, the budget. It involves the individuals, because whatever, you know, you want to do, you have to do it, you know, and doing it is physically doing it. Being an artist, creating work, you need to go and gather, you know, whatever you need to produce, you know, as a, as a, I would say, a diffuser, a gallery, a platform of diffusion and promotion of art or cultural practices, it's the same thing. You need to get out there and look what is there, what exists, and you need to make also a selection of what is, might be perceived as forward and what it, as you were talking of pre-colonial, you know, aspect of, you know, the Caribbean, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it might be a good thing to consider that period, but, you know, you need to contextualize it because otherwise, you know, you might lose also your audience because not everybody is educated on pre or colonial or even sometimes post-colonial, you know, facts in the Caribbean. Because as I said to you, most of the time, you know, we're talking from a perspective where, you know, we've seen from the outside world and the outside world, you know, always stop at the gate of paradise, you know, tourist imagery where actually, you know, they don't engage with whatever happened within the context of each island, its history, its past, its present, and actually how, you know, we, we kind of project ourselves as a society, you know, individually and also globally in the Caribbean. So for me, um, it has been a question of a personal, you know, as I said to you earlier, setting up this space in Martinique where there was already, you know, the space by, you know, artists runs, galleries, institution, foundation and stuff like this. Um, but still, you know, the frustration was there of saying that there's something missing on this island, you know, that might be a platform where, you know, where the speeches or, you know, the expression of the artist is much free than all these other places. And also the fact that, you know, I, I benefit from a network that I had before. And the idea was to also engage you know, this network with what's happening in the Caribbean. Actually push people to look behind you know, this whole touristy, lovely, paradisiac idea of the Caribbean and thinking that you know, we were producing, I would say, frame set of work which relate to you know, what the imagery of people have of the Caribbean, you know, like you know, Soka, uh, Calypso, Carnival, as you were talking about, Ria, whether it's in a rural or in the urban environment. You know, all these things, which are part actually of the DNA of any places in the Caribbean. But, you know, if you start pulling a thread, you realize that, you know, it's not only, you know, like as simple as, you know, Nottingham Carnival, because what is Nottingham Carnival if not mass parade organized by the individuals, you know, which finally regroup themselves 
through communities, you know, whether it's islands or, you know, communities of interest and things like this. And you realize that the individual always is involved in anything, you know, culturally, you know, advancing for our communities. So, um, yes, for me, some way, somehow, there's a political stance in anything cultural in the Caribbean, because it is not that easy. Of course, you know, we do have, you know, music, cinema, uh, theater, literature, and all those things. But you know, it's just like a puzzle. It's like an exploded puzzle, and it's sometimes complicated via languages, you know, Spanish, French, English, Dutch, to, um, to recompose, you know, an imagery, a global imagery of what, you know, the Caribbean could be culturally. Because also we, at some point, I guess that, you know, our leaders and also some of us, um, prominent figures also kind of played out, you know, on the fact that, you know, of our differences rather than, you know, in our similarities. You know, you were talking of uh, Alberta, of, uh, of the sea as a highway. Actually, no, the sea is not a highway for anything in the Caribbean because actually it makes things much more difficult. Because actually of, you know, the heritage of post-colonial heritage of, you know, how we cut, you know, the, the territories, you know, and it makes, you know, traveling, within the island, super complicated. I guess that, you know, somebody traveling from Trinidad who wants to go to Barbados, who's the further west island in the Caribbean, makes it super difficult. You need to go through probably St. Vincent, or, you know, take a plane to, to fly directly. But, you know, considering that, you know, using the sea as a highway, that would have been a great thing, but it's quasi impossible. But it used to be. In my lifetime, it I used, it used, but again, this it is used to be, but it, it, Yeah, it was through ferry and things like this. But even also in uh, in colonial times, you know, you know, the sea was the highway for the fugitive, you know, who wanted to access, mm -hmm. you know, St. Vincent of a Grenadine, you know, for a better life, you know, with the Garifuna and things like this. But you know, nowadays we cannot consider the sea as you know an open space. It's not a linking space because actually with all the borders that we have raised, you know, even on the seats, getting more and more difficult to travel for the Caribbean, you know, anywhere you want to go, you need to take a plane because a journey by boat is too long. And it's usually a leisure, you know, cruising that you have rather than ferries and things like this on a daily basis. I mean, you do have some between Martinique, St. Lucia and Guadeloupe, but it's, it's, you could extend, you know, this, this network to, to the whole Caribbean, but it doesn't work, even to the north of South America, but it doesn't work like this because some way, somehow, you know, uh, we kind of lost, you know, this, this idea of, you know, connectivity in a sense. But that's what I'm saying, that this, this was, it had that, it had that embodiment as a highway, but now this is something that's been destroyed through, as you say, the boats, you know, there's no longer that capacity. Everything goes to Miami or Trinidad, yeah. you know, if you want to travel anywhere. It is very impossible. Um, and I think that this is a real, it's a very significant concern. If we think about how the Caribbean, you know, islands are becoming more insular because it's no longer possible for you to even connect with relatives on neighboring islands, let alone even transact, um, you know, different conversations. Yeah, unless you have a, like specific travel to do or, you know, specific interest on a specific island. Yes, it is difficult to consider, you know, the Caribbean as, as a whole, you know. Even if you have time, you know, um, like, you know, most scholars from North America and Canada do right now, 
they still have, you know, to, 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 to pinpoint, you know, places where they want to go. And the frustration is, you know, actually not being able to travel through the Caribbean from, let's say, Cuba or the Dominican Republic and Haiti, over a flow down to Trinidad and Tobago, which would have been a very nice route. I mean, can you imagine those stopovers, you know, culturally, you know, how enriching it would be? But it's not the case. So some way, somehow, we have to find and define you know, different ways to actually, as I was saying earlier, export, you know, whatever happened in the Caribbean and we want to interest the rest of the world with because there is no way, you know, it's just like, you know, taken for granted that, you know, something happening in Barbados would be known in Martinique. That's not possible because even, you know, with over the, the, the meanings of communication that we have, you know, it's, it doesn't work like this in a way. So what kind of discourse would help or would like a, certain, a newer discourse work, a different kind of language in order to build a better connectedness or is that too much of a naive idea in the end? Uh, don't support the idea that, you know, it's a naive idea, but you know, you need to also take into consideration that for instance, Martinique and Guadeloupe are French speaking islands. Uh, the majority of, of other languages is English and Spanish. And those communities don't actually, you know, communicate between them. So it makes it even more difficult. So imagine that, you know, if you want to speak to the whole Caribbean as a whole, you need to have, you know, document in Spanish, in English, and in French. It's a lot of work, you know, for one person or in one institution to do. But, you know, this is the way it should be done. So therefore, everybody would have the same information at the same time. But it doesn't work like this because the interest in each place is it's not the same. I mean, so you cannot ask somebody from Barbados to have the same interest than somebody in Dominican Republic or Haiti, you know. The condition of living are not the same, first of all. And therefore, you know, whatever, you know, you, you produce and whatever your art practices, for instance, you cannot expect, you know, you know people to... to to talk about the Caribbean as, as a whole. They will talk locally about what they know, what they had experienced, you know, what they want to share with you. But, you know, it's impossible to embody the Caribbean as, as a whole. So therefore, you know, we just need to multiply the voices and multiplying the voices. But maybe, maybe you could talk a little bit how, because I'm sure with your space on Martinique, you are, you're at least trying it, right? It's an attempt from what I understand to do it and how how do you like practically do it and also what you know what lessons have you learned i mean we all learn through through failure in the end also or like mistakes mm -hmm. um and you, you you chose to go back so maybe you can talk a little bit a little bit about those experiences you've made and 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 how you choose to practically work well it's very simple basically because the idea at first was to kind of squeeze the whole french system as i explained you know in the conversation that we had before mm -hmm where, you know, I consider that there's, you know, some kind of a glass roof at some point in the advancement, the advancement of any, you know, uh, artist from what you call the Outre-mer, which is not only Martinique and Guadeloupe, it is also Guyana, French Guyana, Réunion, Caledonia, and places like this. I mean, in Martinique, you have an art school, but, you know, if you want to further your education, you have to go to France. Most of the time when, when a, art, a student or future artist, you know, goes to France, they never come back to Martinique. You have to be super courageous some way, somehow, 
to come back to the Caribbean because you won't live out of your practice. This is one fact. You need to find a job and your practice becomes secondary. And it's how you manage, you know, to, to balance those two that helps you, you know, to, to be a, a practitioner artist, you know. It's, 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 you need to exclude, you know, the way, you know, it works in the Western world when you come to the Caribbean. And if you return to whatever island you are, it's, I get it's, it's the same principle of economy. Uh, first, you need to get a job because otherwise you will not be able to sustain yourself. Um, and that's why also, you know, a lot of artists decide to, to move, whether to London, to Paris, to Berlin, to the United States and to Canada or other places. But, you know, it's, it's rare that those artists, you know, actually return, you know, on, uh, unless, you know, they have made it and some way, somehow, you know, they, they think that they have stable, Financial and economy, excuse me. It's a bit hot in Martinique today. <laughs> you can tell this, the it's sun is burning in the background. Yeah. <laughs> We're freezing in London um, for sure. But uh, yes, you know, you, you were talking about failures. I mean, I guess we all go through failure because some way, somehow, we, we consider the comfort of what we have and taken for granted in the Western world in major cities such as London, Berlin, Paris, and things like this, uh, you cannot reproduce this, for example, in Fort de France. I mean, if you're an artist and you need some supplies, all the supplies you will need to, to produce your work is imported. There's a 30% tax on it, which means that, you know, you pay much more than you would pay it on the continent for your supplies, you know, to at least start, you know, your practice. You know, you haven't even done anything on the canvas or, you know, with your camera or anything, you're really spending money. So how in the end, you know, the money that you're spending, you know, you're going to get a return on it. That's also, you know, the way artists, you know, think these days, because they will not engage into like, you know, having like, you know, super production and super studios, unless they know that there's a return on investment. And this return on investment is quasi close to zero. If you consider the fact that in any island, even in Martinique, which would say you would say there's a small, you know, art market. There's no art market, you know, to sustain, you know, all of this. So therefore, you need to export again, you know, all your practices uh, uh, through your network and things like this. So it it makes it much more difficult for an artist in the Caribbean to build on a career rather than thinking that. You know, oh yeah, you know, it's the Caribbean, you know, must have a beautiful studio by the beach and things like this. That might happen. But, you know, the reality is that, you know, you struggle much more even, you know, to yes. promote, yes. Yeah. refuse or to invite, you know, artists. Yeah. I, mean, what I, I think I think one, one important question I also, because I also want to include Alberta and, and Ria um, into yeah. the conversation, it just came to my mind is, of course, uh, with three of us now being in London and also having access to spaces here, maybe both you, Alberta and Rhea, could talk a little bit about, it, it, there is a certain privilege, of course, of, although it is a struggle, <laughs> we don't want to forget that, but it is, <laughs> it's a privilege to, to be here, meaning in Europe or like in, the, in England right now. Um, and we also have to deal with institutional and structural challenges for sure, but there is an access. How, how do you guys negotiate and deal with that in your work that that like sort like sort of having access to multiple spaces at the same time in actuality i 
Rhea, do you want to go first? <laughs> I don't want to force anyone, but. <laughs> Sorry, I was on mute. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is a privilege for sure. But then also, like, hearing Kirill speak, um, you know, like, understanding that if you're in the Caribbean, it's quite difficult for um, structural reasons sometimes to make work. And um, him saying, like, people going to, France and I'm thinking of Bahamas and Bahamian artists that I really like, like um, Max Taylor and uh, Tavares Strawn, who's um, just had an exhibition of paintings, going to the US to study. So already the kind of like ideas of um, uh, like an avant-garde or like what the Western world conceives of as um, fine art or high art um, making their way um, back into like Caribbean discourses. So then for me, I guess the interesting thing, or the thing which I really want to interrogate being located in the UK is how do I understand the ways in which um, uh, like the remnants of colonialism are working within my practice? what preconceived ideas do I have that are to do with the place where I'm located um, and a certain freedom of movement and what ideas do I have that um, need to be reconceived or reconstructed and I think for me especially being so interested in masquerade um, the idea of what's high and low or um, ways of working, ways of crafting. Um, I've definitely learned a lot from uh, like Caribbean traditions of making. So I think one of the sort of privileges of movement is that you can, you can, um, you can access all those different ways of working, but then on the flip side, you then have to represent them and recontextualize them in a way in which is, um, paying tribute or mindful of the places that they've come from. So thinking about like um, the how the Caribbean's perceived in Britain and how that might be kind of um, sort of not the same as, but sitting alongside discourses of what it means to be black British and sort of this maneuverability of place also means that I need to be very specific about what it is, whose culture I'm accessing and, and, and why. So what I really want to see is people talking about the Caribbean with more specificity. So um, as we've all been talking about how these different places um, have very different cultures actually <laughs> and different ways of, within the Caribbean, I mean, different ways of um, making, different ways of thinking, different media that's privileged, and how do I be specific about those media um, and those ways of working, but then also speak to people who might not know, especially here in Britain, um, speak to a white audience, for instance, who might not know um, about the things that I'm talking about. So I think the idea that um, 
and able to move around is really a privilege, but then also comes with a lot of um, further considerations and needs like further contextualization when, when, when I'm making work. I think, um, you know, really, really touched on something that I think is really, that's been really occupying a lot of headspace is that, that need to recontextualize consistently and having that also be, you know, like an active method in working because, you know, I'm, I'm the, I've got an aunt in the UK, but I'm the only one from my family who lives in the UK. So I often, I really feel like a migrant and in some ways a first generation migrant being here because I'm not with my family. But there's also obviously a huge privilege of being, of being able to have that mobility and of being able to operate within the diaspora that often really makes me think about in-betweenness, but also in some ways like a lack of recognition, but not necessarily a, rec a recognition that I'm thinking about like institutional recognition, but also of being quite confusing and there being something quite confusing about living in zones of in-betweenness. And so when I'm back in Barbados, I'm absolutely, as Keryl said, you know, confronted with the reality of I can't get any materials. I can't get any materials. And even if I wanted to order something, the, the VAT or, you know, the tax, even, you know, my parcel will be opened up. It will then be an extra layer of tax on everything I've paid on. So it is always a case of, you know, you're always bringing things in and that then dictates what you make. And in some ways, I think that's why I ended up making more films but also textile works, which are more mobile and they can be light. So living, I think, in these in-between spaces will, has really impacted the kind of work I make because of thinking about considerations literally of weight and luggage and so on, but also of that constant shifting that Ria mentioned about recontextualizing um, the issues that I'm looking at and in some ways the lack of almost I when I travel I feel like I'm almost like an imaginary person because the Caribbean is so invisible to the rest of the world and it becomes homogenous when you speak to anyone you know as Karyl was saying we are all individual nations with individual histories and individual concerns and individual points of privilege because of our different economies I can't compare the situation in Barbados to Sabre you know, I, I, I can't, it's impossible. So there's not a singular story, whereas there's an expectation of there being a singular Caribbean story. And especially in the UK, it's always an Anglophone story. Um, and it's a very interesting labor to be involved in. And I think it's an important labor for people who do have the privilege of mobility and of living in in-between spaces to do that recontextualization, because I think working with different audiences who may recognize or completely not get or understand and misremember the issues you're working with. Because I think in my own practice, I'm really um, consumed with this idea of the luxury of amnesia and actually what we choose to misremember or what we choose to ignore in terms of colonial legacies. Um, and so I feel often that those ideas which I might bring um, in my work will not necessarily be read or understood depending on where I'm sharing my work. Um, but I think um, 
you know, I think Mag's touched on something really interesting, which is about that idea of how do we actually, um, how do we share more? And maybe how do we actually um, think about the diaspora as potentially um, being maybe more in touch? And I know that there are initiatives like Caribbean LinkedIn and different um, initiatives through, you know, artist-run spaces and institutions such as ones, you know, you're involved in Keril. That, that are operating. And I think they make incredible attempts. Alice Yard in Trinidad, pop up in the Bahamas. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fresh milk in Barbados. You know, I was lucky enough to be her first resident, you know, when she opened up. And, you know, I see the work and it's incredibly hard work in terms of supporting artists, you know, because the negative diaspora it is such a, it's, it's a really big threat to the cultural economy as well, where the reality is you can't make a living at home. You have to find some way to get your work out there. And I've seen a lot of really interesting artists use Instagram as being a way to do that. And I think um, that's, that's become a really interesting tool in terms of opening up conversations. Um, and I don't think it levels the playing field at all, but I think it certainly creates different opportunities, you know, and I think this, I don't know what is going to happen now that we're living in this strange COVID land where a lot of programming is happening online, you know, we're here during um, 154 and, you know, it's during freeze week and there now are all of these online viewing galleries and I'm interested like what that even might mean for artists who are operating in the periphery to um, be part of different conversations. I don't think they're better or worse. I just think they're they can be very different and some, you know, are incredibly fruitful. Um, I wanted to touch upon one more thing you, you had said, uh, Karil, earlier, this um, sort of like lack of connectedness um, between, the, between the islands. Um, but because we live in this age of social media and we, we kind of cannot, you know, you just cannot ignore that anymore. Um, I was wondering whether you could elaborate a little bit more on whether it is, could be seen as a possibility at least to be connected. You know, I don't know how fruitful it would be in the end, um, but doesn't social media have that kind of potential, you know, somehow? I would say to a certain extent, probably for artists, it works much more than for diffusers or for galleries, but if I take my own experience, you know, social media has also is limited in times and in its physicality. You know, it all depends on the network that you really built or you really have. You know, you cannot you know, expect to expand, you know, a network that doesn't exist. You know, you need a, a starting point. And, you know, we're talking of, you know, social media, but, you know, this forum is happening and this conversation is happening in the context of an art fair, which is physical, but also online. But what people realize is that the success of the fit of 154 is based on its personal. It's not based so much on, on the fact that things happen online. I mean, I took part in 154 in New York online in, in, uh, in May this year, right after, you know, the, the whole planet was confined. I can tell you that I had made zero new contacts and it was online. I mean, everything was there for you to see. A lot of people contacted me, contact, ask questions about the artist, but it doesn't translate into sales or into invitation into anything because, you know, I mean, at least, you know, when you have someone in front of you, you know, you, you, you have emotion, you share something, you know,
there's a transversality of emotions of there's a real exchange of ideas whether i like i don't like you know you can perceive things that you know for words online or even for videos you can't perceive at all so for me um it's a matter of you know balancing both you know you cannot only consider uh, base you know all your uh, your networking on social media that's not going to work you know it will work to a certain extent until you know your trend will just be old fashioned and you know people will move on to and to the next thing and to the, the next upcoming artist and stuff. So how do you sustain it? How do you remain in place? That's the most important thing. So therefore, you know, it's I guess it's just like you know making cocktail. It's a matter of mix mixology. And in Martinique, for instance, it's not only about you know presenting the work of local artists outside of Martinique. It's also inviting artists, international artists, to confront their practice with artists in Martinique, you know, confront local artists with the fact that, oh, he or she's using this material that, you know, I kind of discarded, you know, but, you know, what she finally produced is super interesting. So this is the kind of discourse that we should have. So therefore, you know, there's still a question of economy. You know, you cannot just consider just because, you know, there's COVID or any uh, pandemic, you know, you can only work from your studio or your offices. That's, that's not possible. We still need to connect some way, somehow. And uh, the idea, I guess, in the future, once, you know, this whole pandemic will go away, hopefully by uh, the next few years, let's put it that way, we will be able, again, you know, to, to connect. We will connect differently. I guess it will be less superficial because we would have learned so much in the last years or so about how we connect now, how we can actually make, you know, the relationship that we build stronger and stronger in the distance that, you know, the, the, the I would say the living that we have has created because with all the restriction that you have with those red zone in the world and things like this, travel is getting scarce. So of course, exchanges also are getting scarce. And, you know, I think it's super courageous for you guys to be in in London right now, and it's also very courageous that you know a fair like 154 exists in its physicality, and it proves again that you know um, you cannot do without uh, being somewhere at some point you know, on this planet. So I relate to that, like you know, as I said to you, you know, I'm in the middle of nowhere, but some way somehow you know we have a booth on the, on the fair with all you know the, the thing that happened personally to me. It shouldn't have happened, but some way, somehow, it's happening. It's a reality. And this reality, you know, allow us to, you know, to make new contacts, to build on, you know, a new broad of collectors and things like this. And that's also very important. If I had, you know, kind of decided, oh my God, you know, it's pandemic, have, you know, health issues, it's too far, it's gonna cost me too much money. What would I do? You wouldn't even be aware that, you know, there's an art space in the Caribbean called 1461 to discuss with you know this is also the thing so it depends as well on, on what you want for yourself and i guess that for artists it's, it's it's a rather terrible time because the exchange time of traveling of discussing of you know discoursing with others makes things much more difficult right now but you know i hope hopefully that you know for biennales festivals that will start again in the, in the, in the future years we'll be able you know, to have those conversations over and over again. 
because some way, somehow, it's by having those conversations, confronting our practices, our ideas, our projects, you know, our failures as well, that we grow some way, somehow. So for me, it's important, you know, to kind of balance both physicality and uh, virtuality. Do you guys maybe want to add a little bit to this physical proximity? Because I've, I mean, I've, you know, um, I would have loved to talk more about the body, which is another huge chapter. Both of you guys are also employing in your work, but, but maybe because we only have a couple more minutes left, I think it will be very beautiful to hear from you guys. Um, just, yeah, this more about this notion of physicality. Like, I'm yeah. missing being physical so much. <laughs> I think, um, you know, like I've just finished editing um, a new film, uh, Reset, and this is like a film which I hope so much would be shared, you know, with many people physically, but, you know, and we were lucky enough to be able to make this happen. So it's being screened at Forma, but it's also now being shared online. And, you know, I really normally try and create a very particular environment so that people are reminded of their bodies whilst they're watching the work and they think about their physicality and they think about their humanity. And, you know, always with the risk of things closing down, you know, that wasn't possible to, to imagine that landscape in a physical environment. So I had to really think so much about the film, being able to hold the body, being able to share my body with, um, with the viewer and also kind of try and think about those lines of intimacy because um, as someone who struggles a lot with social media, I, I really kind of am trying to be so hopeful for when we are meeting and we're physically engaging. And, and it was really a gift that, you know, Magnus is here, Ria is here, we miss you, Cariel. But, you know, we, you know, we were like, we have to try and do this physically together, um, you know, to embrace the possibilities of still connecting, you know, in a lived way. Yeah. I think is worth probably both um, making works which engage with the body in some way um, the conditions of showing those works also benefit, really benefit from an um, in-person like presence. Um, I really feel that with my work, it's often meant for a viewer that can't leave. Um, I really want to be in control. And so to have work online that people can access kind of destroys that dynamic. Um, yeah, there are lots of conditions of my work which really require an in-person um, presence to be best experienced. Um, also the idea of creating something really tactile, something that's either too close for me to, for you to understand what it is as a method of refusal or that's um, very affecting in terms of the sound. Um, those are all things that I like to think about in terms of the body and in terms of affect. And they're things that if you would see them in the cinema <laughs> um, would have a very different effect if they're seen online. So in that sense, I really do miss um, in-person sort of 
display and discourse around art. But in another sense, I've been able to see work from around the world um, and artists that I usually wouldn't um, have had access to and learn about ways of community organizing as well um, around the world, like film collectives, for instance, um, people working cooperatively um, that probably aren't that interested in having um, a digital presence if it were not for the pandemic. So, I mean, there's two sides to being uh, physical versus being online. Um, but I think definitely in terms of the production of work and display of work, um, uh, physical presence. Also, I mean, that's totally tied into um, like Caribbean discourse, you know, like my body is the side of my, um, my work often. It's the narrative comes from me or the sort of, um, uh, the things which I'm interested in come from, come from my culture, my experience. And so it kind of makes sense that it would be present through um, my body or through, yeah, through a physical means of display. I really liked what you said about um, the control and the demands of audience on audiences. Because I also find like when I create my installations or I make my films, I try and think of them as being simultaneously an invitation as well as a demand um, to think about our collective intersubjectivities and the different power relations that are in play in that, but also how there's that luxury of amnesia, you know, in the kind of like misremembering and how you can make that an invitation and demand in controlling these environments. And in a strange way, the internet or online screenings does feel a bit like the Wild West. You just don't really know what's going on when people are, are looking at your work. And I think, you know, from for me when I'm now making work that's for specifically for an online platform I'm really trying to think about that those moments of distraction that might happen and um, almost trying to to work with that as another almost another embodiment of an audience or another idea of distraction because I think your films are often shown in cinemas as well you've shown at different film festivals and that really is a very interesting bodily control of an audience, you know, from an installation perspective, for instance. Um, but I agree with you. I think it's been a great time to see work from all over the world that we wouldn't necessarily be able to engage with with so much information. But I think we're all really longing for those days of galleries just being open and being able to have these you know, um, moments for engagement and, and to, as Keril said, you know, disagree, agree, but you know, there's always that time for, for learning. And I guess kind of almost sometimes learning about oneself in those engagements, because some, you know, there's also that capacity for failure in a very, um, in some ways lived way when you make something in the physical realm, you can see quite, in a very different way how it fails rather than when you send something in the wild west of the online world 
Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm quite interested in like what is now going to happen with that understanding of failure and refusal when we're no longer directly engaging with our audiences or that capacity to engage and meet with an audience through that demand, through that invitation, where will that now leave us? as artists and you know as as you kind of I like that word you use Keryl diffusers I'd never heard it being used in that way um, of thinking about mediators between artists and audiences um, we're living in just very interesting times okay I think we're almost over time but maybe as a as a last question before um, We leave. I'm I just came to my mind maybe to 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 ask the question and how far this current moment might be uh, an opportunity um, also for these questions that came up around you know um, the problems and the structural challenges um, when it comes particularly to the Caribbean art scenes. Um, whether it is there is a potential right now in what we're going through. Um, how do you guys envision the future? I think it's always fun to like project into the future <laughs> and keep hoping. Um, maybe you guys want to comment a little bit on that. And then um, I think we, we have to leave and, and make space for the, for the other panelists today. Um, there's a, a program which Fresh Milk is actually running right now called Catapult. And it's for artists around the Caribbean. And one of the ideas which I really enjoyed from it is the idea of um, having a residency at home and but also it provides these different opportunities for people to meet um, and and come together and I guess you know discuss these difficulties but in a way which felt very galvanizing in the in the different stories I've heard um, and I also think there's something very interesting about production and thinking about even like allowing for there to be a lack of production and for rest to, because the Caribbean has always been this site of overabundant production and expectation of production as well, but an extraction, but not necessarily value um, historically. So in these clusters of people coming together that there's not necessarily the expectation for labor, I think is a very interesting kind of hinge point to think about. Ria, what do you think? I think what I would really love to see is um, a relationship between um, the elsewhere and the Caribbean, where um, Caribbean arts and artists are foregrounded. So, um, so for me to access art from the Caribbean here, but it not to be through the lens of something British. And I think that's that requires um, kind of structural change. It's like on a very basic level, like who's funding it? Um, how does it get here? Which artists are included? Um, that's what I want to see. Okay, so um, maybe I'll have a final word by saying that, you know, what I hope for is the multiplication of voices and platforms because you know the discussion and conversation we have engaged here right now and before it's not enough you know we need to be able to engage in deeper conversation with the african continent with also with its operators in, in culture and in art with the westerners whether they're from europe or the united states and canada as well And I guess that, you know, from the Caribbean, you know, of course there are some platforms, but we need to multiply the voices 
in order, you know, to further or, you know, to forecast a, a brighter future, you know, where, you know, you know, it's like, you know, it's our place and, you know, you're more than welcome to dig in, you know, from wherever yes. corner you I'm I'm so sorry, Kelly, but we have to um, we have to stop. The hour is over, and we have to make space for the other panels. But I want to thank the audience. Thank you so much for joining, um, Alberta, Ria, Karil. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I'm going to hand over to you, Julia. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, thank you so much again, and hope, hope to see you soon. Yeah. Thanks to all of you for this. Very, very great, great. Our very personal insights into your thoughts and, and hopes and perspectives and work. So that was really, you know, we could have gone on forever. So it was really, really good and touching as well. Thanks, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, again, thanks to you, the audience, um, for uh, having stayed with us. Um, the next uh, panel is about to start at 2 p.m. UK time. So wherever you are, um, come in um the title or focus will be on modes of resistance and uh, we're looking forward to it and um hope to see you soon and thanks again uh, to you it's really thank you for the, um, yeah. the initiative <laughs> yeah no without you you know wouldn't <laughs> have been possible so thanks again as we said you know the personal becomes the collective so yes that's it <laughs> that's a good last thought <laughs> okay